Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation, news, and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Saturday, September 12th, 2020. So, we recorded early last week, Drew, so you could have a long Labor Day weekend. So tell me your world rest. Tell me it, it, it worked out, right? <laughs> Uh, it was it was everything, Jim. Our, my weekend was everything, you know, just doing nothing and hanging out with my wife and dog. But uh, what did you get up to is really the question. We got up to nothing. In fact, uh, I was at Barnes & Noble last night. Are you familiar with the podcast, the last podcast on the left? Um, I have heard of it. Yes. Uh, it sounds scary, Jim. And I, you know, you're getting into Halloween territory already. The gentleman behind this celebrate serial killers and alice introduced it to me as sort of a well if you enjoy my favorite murder with karen kilgoverick and georgia hartstark you're gonna love these guys and i feel like a bad parent sending this to her because it's literally it's called last book on the left and it's this sort of goofy history of serial killers and it's just sort of like in the big book of parenting, I do not think this is a good choice, especially to send it out with cookies. <laughs> but I didn't even get that done last weekend. So I'm, I'm, my goal is to do this on Monday so she gets fresh cookies. But I accomplished nothing of size. It was, it was somewhat disappointing. You didn't even watch Mulan, right? I did not. I did not. Because, again, I'm old, and it was one of these things I was staring down the barrel of. This is a two-hour-long film, and I don't even managed to stay awake during the 22-minute-long episodes of Star Trek Lower Deck. So it's like, what are my chances? So, you know, Nancy and I are trying to pick a time where, you know, we're, we're very well caffeinated and somewhat rested, and this may be the weekend. Okay. Well, keep us posted on that, obviously. Okay. But you are a busy guy because to get your wonderful long Labor Day weekend, you had to cram last week five days worth of writing for Collider into four days. And then this week, yes. you, you know, you had to do the very same thing. I hope I'm writing enough, Jim, because I always hear from you when you say, listen, we're, what, what was going on this week? You know, I didn't see 18 stories uh, from you. So last week I had a lot. So I hope you were happy with that. Okay. I have to admit, I'm spoiled. What can I tell you? You know, which, which would explain the smell. Did you watch Earth to Ned? This is my question. Yes, yes. We did the first two episodes. In fact, Kirsten Schnall and Paul Shear. Yes, those were great. Yeah. We're going to sit down and, and do the next bunch. It's just so nice to see Paul Rugg working again. Or yeah. hear Paul Rugg working again. Because he's, he's somewhere inside of... No, wait a minute. He does the voice off camera. Is that the deal? He's they, puppeteering the... The lips, I think, and doing the voice, yeah. So, because he's he's been a Henson guy for a little while, you know, he's been a part of Puppet Up, the oh, stage show. Okay. Which, if you'll remember, the last couple of years has been at Knott's Berry Farm, replacing Elvira for the Halloween programming. It's great to see them there at Knott's, but the one you really want to catch is they do it on the Henson lot. Oh, that's right. Like every once in a while, I, I would see that kind of pop up. Yeah, yeah. I've got to do that next time. Oh, no, um, no, you, you have to. I mean, it's it's the old Chaplin Studios. In fact, as I understand it, they, they present it on the one soundstage there that Chaplin used. So it's like... The soundstage where they built Ned's spaceship, too, Jim. Oh, uh, so. okay. <laughs> All right. 
Speaking of voice work, though, I think the only person who's busier than you these days is Josh Gad. Hi, Ava. So we had the announcement this week of Once Upon a Snowman, a brand new Olaf short that will be debuting on October 23rd on Disney+. Plus. The guys who are doing this are old hands at, at Olaf. We've got Trent Corey and Dan Abraham. Mr. Corey was an animation supervisor for Olaf on Frozen 2, whereas Mr. Abraham, he storyboarded the When I'm Older musical sequence for that same yep. film. And I guess he also directed one of the at-home Olaf episodes that we got back in April and May. Now, Once Upon a Snowman is different. From the At Home with Olaf shorts? Yeah, um, I think this one is closer to Frozen Fever in terms mm -hmm. of production and, you know, uh, level of, of complexity. Although no songs in this one, I can confirm that. Okay. This is, was in production pre-COVID, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, because the giveaway was that it's Dan did the interview for Entertainment Weekly, and he talked about what a pleasure it was to direct Josh in a recording booth. And for those At Home with Olaf shorts, I mean, he did the audio literally at home in, in his home studio, which... In a mock turtleneck. In a Jim. mock turtleneck. There <laughs> yes. we go. So in this exact same window of time, we also get word that Josh is the narrator of The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom, this new docuseries, mm -hmm. which is dropping not in October, but this month on the, on the 25th. Yes, I, I have all the episodes, Jim. Are you so jealous? I am a wee bit jealous. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the zoo, the animal planet, that docuseries. Oh, yeah that Disney did a, a slight bit of lifting, you know, <laughs> in regard to, you know, the magic of Disney. I mean, if you talk with the folks at Disney, they're like, now, wait a minute, we did an Animal Kingdom series. The very first year that the park was open, there was a, a syndicated behind-the-scenes in Animal Kingdom series that... Really? Yeah. It ran from September of 1998. All, only the one season wrapped 1999 in the fall. Same thing, you know, going behind the scenes at the park. Also, the name is Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom, but they don't just do the theme park. They, yes. They also yeah. do the Nemo and Friends Pavilion. Well, let's call it the Seas Pavilion, Jim. The we got to keep it old. We got to keep it old school. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. Yeah. You know, the, the Living Seas. And also the Animal Kingdom Lodge, right? So... Yeah, I haven't I haven't started watching them yet, but I will have a full review next week, I promise. Um, the trailer was really fun. I mean, you and I have gotten to go behind the scenes at, at Animal Kingdom a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is when the kind of magic of that place came alive to me. Because you're so close to the animals. These people care so much about them. Mm -hmm. And there's so many different types. And then they do cool things like... The last time I was there behind the scenes, they were teaching the alligators to come out of the water in a specific way when they were feeding them so that they could also draw blood for, to do diagnostic tests. And it was just fascinating to see them training this essentially dinosaur yeah. to come out of the water in a specific way <laughs> so that they could collect blood. I mean, it was it blew my mind, Jim. And then to be close enough, I hope they do a whole section. I don't know if they do, but I hope they do a whole section about the hyenas oh, because yeah. those are the most amazing animals I've seen. And, and to be so close mm -hmm. and to see how huge they are 
Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's amazing. I know that you love Animal Kingdom too, so I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here, but. Well, you know from having been backstage with the hyenas, you talk with the keepers there and it's like, okay, first of all, disregard the Lion King. <laughs> That's not how hyenas actually are. I mean, I get, again, obviously they don't sing and march around like Nazis, but right. sneaky animal, that sort of thing. You know, if anything, uh, you know, they're far more intelligent. You'll appreciate this, Jim, that I asked the docent. Mm-hmm. Have you have you ever wanted to touch it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you ever wanted to pet one of the hyenas? Because mm-hmm. you know they're pretty cute, Jim, mm-hmm. and they're pretty they're smart. And the and the woman just looked at me and said, "No, I'd like to keep all of my fingers." <laughs> yes, in fact, that's the other thing of the, the story you just told. It's like taking blood from an alligator. You know, it's like doesn't it usually work the other way around? You know, just sort of <laughs> like. It's like, oh, yeah, the alligator took my arm. So it's like, yeah, you know, got a lot of them. Okay. Yeah. Well, while we're talking about Mr. Gad, when this airs, you'll have missed it, but I bet it will still be available. The Wisconsin Democratic Party is a fundraiser, has arranged for this reunion of the cast of The Princess Bride. And it starts with the actual surviving members of the, the, the 87 film. So Carrie Ellis is on board, uh, Robin Wright, Billy Crystal, Carol Kane, Mandy Patinkin. Obviously, we've lost some cast members along the way, Peter Falk, and especially Andre the Giant, who yeah. did Fezzik. And if Josh isn't busy enough, you know, he agreed to, to step in and for this read of the William Goldman script, he's going to be doing Fezzik. They were suggesting you had to make a $27 donation to get in on this thing. And Josh being part of it was enough to make me go, all right, we'll, we'll do this. Anyway, I, I'm beginning to think now that we really need to change the name of this podcast. We're talking so much about Josh. The, 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 go from fine-tuning the Josh Gad Report or Gad Tidings or... Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Never mind. I think I, it could work, Jim. I'm, uh, let's let's workshop it. But, okay. All yeah. right. I mean, speaking of other things that are going on this weekend that I'm hoping will be available to uh, fine-tuning listeners after the fact... Lightbox Expo, which is this annual event that puts noted artists, illustrators, and designers, and we're talking like 300 of them, in the spotlight. It's been happening since Friday, uh, Friday, September 11th. It's going to continue through Sunday, September 13th. Everybody's packed into the Pasadena Civic Center. No, I'm kidding. No, it's all all All, online. All online, all virtual, but again, it's got... Presentations from folks at Pixar and Lucasfilm and Marvel and Illuminations. Great, great stuff. So very much worth checking out. On the other hand, we, we have this this other story that, Drew, you came across this with Don Bluth launching a new traditional animation operation with the rather humble name Don Bluth Studios. If at first you don't succeed, try and try again, Jim. That's what I always say. Now, how did you come across this? Because the announcement was a Facebook post by a woman, Lavelle Lee? Yeah, I saw the Facebook page, and Mm -hmm. that's when I said, what is this? And Mm -hmm. it turns out that it's a new studio, Don Bluth, who in the year of our Lord 2020 is the ripe old age of 82, mm-hmm. has decided to um, start this new... He's saying that it's the, you know, the, the renaissance of traditional animation is going to be upon us, and um, I'm not sure he's right, but I am fascinated by him and all of his wacky endeavors, so... Mm-hmm. To explain who Lavelle Lee is... She actually started taking courses with Mr. Booth back in 2009. 
if you go to her IMDb page, the project she's listed for within the animation department is Dragon's Lair the movie, uh, which, <laughs> according to IMDb, is coming out in 2021. And Yeah, and uh, I've got a great deal on the Brooklyn Bridge for you as well, Jim. I know what you're saying. And remember, there was the Indiegogo fundraiser in 2015 where they were raising money for the sizzle reel for what was going to be a 70 million dollar feature and then in november they pulled the plug on the project but didn't it go from like it went yeah it went from indiegogo to Mm. kickstarter yeah i mean there was a lot of weirdness around that whole thing also i'm i'm amazed that don bluth is still in arizona (laughs) he has a theater there okay wasn't there the Dragon's Lair live-action thing also? Yeah, that was announced by Netflix. They had secured the rights and that Ryan Reynolds was going to be in That's the right, lead. that's right. That, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Which sounds a lot more appetizing than some Kickstarter animated movie that they've cobbled together over the past 10 years or whatever. So. No, I, I, I get that. But at the same time, I'm such, I have such a love of traditional animation and more to the point, you know, if you read Lavelle's note on Facebook, she seems very, very sincere. She's also animator, editor, and vice president of Don Bluth Studios. I don't know. I'm suddenly reminded of the hair club for men. <laughs> you know, I'm not yeah. just a president of the organization. I'm also a client. Well, you can also go on that Facebook page and see video of Don, and he's talking about this new... Mm-hmm. show or something that he's working on called Bluth Fables. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, so the, they have these streams that are sh- that show the progress of this mm-hmm. this uh series which is pretty weird, but he's like t- he's putting a Don Bluth spin on classic fairy tales, but uh you know what I just I just watched this week, Jim, for maybe what? the first time since I don't know, the 80s was the the little uh the small one, which is on Disney Plus. Oh god, yes. Beautiful, some beautiful animation in there. Absolutely. It's just, for me, it's been fascinating how Disney has just not known what to do with that. When was that? Was that 77? When was that? 78 uh, with a Christmas re-release of Pinocchio. And I remember, I actually, I went to a theater deliberately to see this feature at Plus Pinocchio. And it was just, remember how Disney in 92, you know, really got, a lot of negative publicity for the opening song of Aladdin, you know, where they cut off your you know, ear if they don't like your fairies. Or, you know, yes, they, yes. These are not particularly politically correct takes on citizens of the Arab world. Yes, yeah. It actually comes with one of those cultural depictions, disclaimers. Does it really? Plus. Yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, because I, I would imagine yes. the whole clink, clank, clunk, clank, take the money to the bank song. It wouldn't, you know. Yeah, I was shocked by that, actually. But the draftsmanship, particularly on the donkey, is unbelievably good. Absolutely. And I, I, I really do think that in the end, it sticks to landing. You look at that and you understand that, you know, again, comes out in December of 78, and he had just done Pete's Dragon, riding her on all the. You know, animation component of, you know, that live action musical. And then September 79, he's out the door. I know. I couldn't believe so close after that came out. He was yeah. like, I'm done. See ya. Yeah. So, well, anyway, again, I wish Don and Lavelle, well, you know, I, I mean, personally, <laughs> I really do want to see the return of traditional animation. So I hope, you know, there's an audience out there for Bluth Fables. 
I really do want to see a Dragon Slayer animated movie. So I remain hopeful. But again, if we're talking about things that are returning or maybe not returning, what do you make of this Venture Brothers thing over the past week? I'm not too sure that it's ever coming back. But basically what happened was that they announced that it was canceled and then... Cartoon Network said, well, wait, we're trying to figure out a way to bring it back. Mm. Um, But it seems like a pretty tortured production just because Doc and Jackson do everything themselves. And Mm -hmm. I think it's been like 16 years or something since the first one and only how many seasons? Seven seasons? It's it's like, oh, my God. Well, you know, there have always been like these two-year lags. But then you watch the show and it's like, well, of course it took two years. I mean, you know, just <laughs> the writing and... And the animation is amazing. I forget who was making the comparison that really in a lot of ways, this kind of is the Marvel Cinematic Universe or you know, the animated version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because if you actually watch the show, did you ever see the one where they went to Brisby World? Yes. Where you know, Walt Disney was being kept alive by Pandem Milk? Yes. It's a strange <laughs> show. It's a very complex show too, which... That is one thing that I will say. The lag really took the wind out of your sails if you weren't, if you didn't rewatch in the interim, Uh, because it was just, it was so complicated. I think, remember that at the end of, I think, the first or second seasons where it was revealed that the kids were clones? There we go. And they kept getting killed a million times. I mean, to me, that was like some of the boldest storytelling I'd seen in, in animation up until that point. Totally. But at the same time, if you remember the end of the like, the last episode of the first season, where, you know, suddenly it's like, oh, God, it's Easy Rider. Yeah. You know, and then the two characters get blasted. You had heard maybe, what, maybe this might end up over? I'm, I've heard that it might go to HBO Max. Okay. Um, which, by the way, we're in the middle of the second weekend of fandom, and I am r- relentlessly checking my emails for a press release announcing Harley Quinn season three, but nothing so far, Jim. So uh, still on the edge of our seat on that one. Okay. Perhaps it's on the same desk with the, the, the Venture Brothers announcement. By the way, there's a wonderful but huge book. A uh, book that my pal Ken Plume wrote, uh, Go Team Venture, The Art and Making of the Venture Brothers, published back in July of, of 2018. And, and the the series actually, well, now that in season eight, which I guess Jackson and company were in the middle of writing, you know, has been tabled. But, you know, this takes you all the way through the first seven seasons of the show. And... Hopefully, if it gets picked up by HBO Max, maybe Ken will get to do an expanded version. But I, I can't imagine expanding beyond the 600 pages. I've got to get it. Well, at the very least, you know, do have in your home gym, just so you can lift <laughs> it up and put it down. Anyway, folks, when we get back, let's talk about Halloween in L.A. So, Halloween in L.A. has been canceled, right? Yes, for the most part. And right before getting on the show, I tried to get tickets to the uh, Freeform Halloween event and uh, did not successfully get it. Uh, They're doing this thing called Freeform's Halloween Road. Mm -hmm. And it sounds really cool. And uh, your boy just uh, got there too late, I guess. The the site went down right at 10. And then when I got into it, I was like the, you know, five millionth person waiting in line for tickets. So... 
did not happen, but maybe by some grace of God, uh, I'll I'll get in there. But um, yeah, yeah, there are events like that. There's a really cool Stranger Things event happening, which I mm-hmm. hope that that I get to go to okay. um, downtown. Where you know all these things, you drive through them. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. You know, you'll have a height requirement on your car when you sign up for these things. So what you're saying is to leave the Winnebago at home. Yes. I, I think you're going to actually drive into the Starcourt Mall is my guess. But Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Uh, there's a part of me that wants to do this, and there's another one that does not want. <laughs> okay. But uh, speaking of pseudo-horror-related stuff, you, you actually just got to see... A movie that's about to debut at the Toronto Film Festival, right? Yeah, I saw Wolf Walkers, which Mm -hmm. is the new movie by Cartoon Saloon, Mm -hmm. which uh, we have covered on the show a lot. I mean, we've covered the studio on the show a lot. Um, But they're the ones behind The Secret of Kells and Song Mm -hmm. of the Sea and The Breadwinner. Uh, And this is the third part of their kind of Celtic trilogy. Mm -hmm. And it is wonderful, Jim. I think you're going to really, really love it. It has a really unique look. The trailer's out now, so you can check that out. It'll be on Apple TV Plus later this year. But they do things like leave in the kind of like rough sketch lines, including like the kind of, you know, the shapes of the characters. So you'll see a character with two balls sort of as the hips and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. There are also these really cool kind of like 3D interludes where they do this thing called wolf vision, where you're seeing it from the perspective of the wolf. Mm -hmm. And it's just really fun. If you like movies like Brave or Brother Bear, there's a lot of sort of like lessons in that vein. Uh, But the animation is just beautiful. So maybe Don Bluth is right. Maybe there is a, a 2D renaissance approaching. One of the gentlemen who was a master of 2D, I mean, anybody who loved Lilo and Stitch knows Chris Sanders. Chris is still the director of Crudes 2, right? I don't know about that, actually. No, I don't think he is. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, well, Chris is keeping busy because uh just got a, a press release from Sideshow. Chris is now getting into statues, which he actually did statues for Comic-Con five years ago? The, the, the Mermaid, I think it right? might be even longer than that because I was just looking at a... I was looking at an eBay listing from 2015 for one of the mermaids, and it was like $695 or something. You and I were both at the Comic-Con where they debuted, and I think he was selling the the statues as well as his sketchbooks that year. Yeah. I have a a Chris Sanders print on my my wall, and I had him... um, I had him draw Kiskaloo in the in the corner. Oh no! Yeah, okay. yeah. I have a print myself that I purchased at one of the comic cons, along with, I think I have six of the seven sketchbooks, and they're, they're so good. They're, they're so good, amazing. And and so, the first figure of this series, which is called Chris Sanders Happy Hollow Queens Collection, is the Pumpkin Witch, and. If you know Chris's cheesecake drawings, this is very, very much in that style. I'm always amazed every year about how much bigger Halloween gets. In fact, I I think the last report I was reading was that Halloween was just below annual sales for Christmas, though I imagine this year is going to kind of put a kink in that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I've already... Listen, I've already I've already started eating my vampire Hershey's Kisses, which has a little goo in the middle, and my uh, Franken Reese's Franken Cups, which have a phosphorescent green layer to the uh, peanut butter cup. 
So I, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for spooky season, Jim. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I walk through the candy aisle and I look on, you know, just longingly. longingly. But, <laughs> but can't do it. Can't do it. But but I, speaking of things like I'm looking at or at least looking forward to, news broke about the uh, Hayao Miyazaki retrospective that's going to be presented at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. They've announced the opening date of this exhibit. It's April 30th, 2021. But you were saying, Drew, that, you know, kind of interesting to announce an exhibit for a museum that's still under construction? Yes. And I we're watching it go up as we speak. You know, it's over by, is it the Getty over there? No, it's not the Getty. Um, whatever the museum is. I, might, mm-hmm. I think it's a, the, maybe it's LACMA mm-hmm. it's next door to. My brain is not working at this no, hour, no, no, Jim, no, no. but, but I've, okay. you know, we, we've watched it kind of, it's it's forming right mm-hmm. now. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting because it's not finished. Mm-hmm. And I really want to know what it's going to do to parking over there. The parking is already terrible over at, at Fairfax and Wilshire. So we'll we'll see. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited to go, obviously, but we'll see if it. If uh, COVID has taken its toll, it's just really interesting that they're announcing this so early when the museum is not done yet. I wonder how much of that is, you know, you want to buy tickets in advance. Because remember, you got to see the the Tim Burton retrospective uh, in New York. I saw it in New York. Yeah. 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 And remember that, you know, that was so popular. It had, you know, time entry tickets. So. Yeah, that was amazing. Did you go to that, Jim? Oh, absolutely. Still made me crazy that they had the one monitor that was playing the clips of the his Hansel and Gretel thing that I what aired for one night yeah. on the Disney Channel. Yes. And supposedly as part of that exhibit, there was one night that they they played uh you know you you could go downstairs to the Museum of Modern Arts Theater and finally watch this thing the the this kabuki theater take on Hansel and Gretel. I remember hearing the tickets went on sale, and they in much the same way as your uh, your freeform event, you know, gone instantaneously from right. all of the Burton completists who didn't see it the one night it ran on the Disney Channel. Well, I was I was zooming with with Andreas a couple of weeks ago because I was working on a that Black Cauldron thing, and he was talking mm. about how cool that that was his Kung Fu Hansel and Gretel, but. Yeah. Disney Plus, hello. Yes, yes, yes. I totally agree. Now, speaking of sub- subscription services, okay, so Studio Ghibli, what was it? For VHS, Disney handled it, but now for streaming, it's HBO Max, right? It's streaming, it's HBO Max. Video right now is G Kids and okay. Shout Factory. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's all over the map. But did you want to say where this exhibit is going to be held in the. Uh, Oh, in the new museum. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the Marilyn and Jeffrey Katzenberg gallery space, which Quibi, right? Yes. Given Quibi's financial problems, I'm, I'm just, again, if I were the museum, I would really have cashed that check quickly. Right. I, I don't know if you've been following this museum, the building of this museum, but they say that there's like all these, there's like a room that has all these like columns in it. Mm-hmm. And every big wig in the city has a column with their name on it. So I don't know if, if Jeffrey's column is written in crayon or, or <laughs> what, or sort of erasable marker. But oh, yeah. enough bashing of Jeffrey here. So, all right. We, so we were just talking HBO Max, which of course has the Looney Tunes revival 
But I recently bought a pile of Disneyland lines. There was an issue that came out in January of 1984 that has this amazing story buried in the back of it. So uh, here's how it goes, Drew, that there was this boy named Patrick who was an animation fan. And so he writes a letter to Disneyland and don't entirely understand why he does this, but he addresses the letter to Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. Now, the fan mail department at Disneyland Park arranges for Mickey to answer Patrick's letter. But since Disney can't speak for a Warner Brothers character, um, what the Disneyland fan mail department decided to do was to forward Patrick's fan letter to Bugs' care of Marriott's Great Adventure. Now, Marriott, evidently in 1976, decided that it wanted to get into the theme park business. So it actually built two theme parks that kind of opened within three months of one another in, in 1976. There was the Marriott's Great Adventure, uh, which opened in California, and then there was a, <laughs> because evidently they bought a lot of stationery, there was a second Marriott's Great Adventure, which opened just north of Chicago in Gurney, Illinois. Marriott licensed the Looney Tune characters from Warner Brothers for use in their theme parks, and I guess they don't get the returns they want. So in 1984, they actually sell the theme park to the city of Santa Clara who in turn then sells it to Paramount in 1992, and Paramount in turn sells it to Cedar Fair in 2006, and they're the ones who are operating the theme park today under the name of California's Great Adventure. I had no idea Marriott owned it. Same thing here. So anyway, Marriott's Great Adventure gets this letter. They don't immediately answer Patrick's letter, but they do send a letter back to Disneyland Park. But it's a letter... That Bugs Bunny is writing to Mickey Mouse? They actually reprinted this letter along. The, in fact, they had an autographed black and white 8x10 that Bugs sent to Mickey. This is clearly a letter written by somebody who knew the Looney Tunes, knew Bugs inside out. It's, it's this wonderful in-character bit of writing. So just wanted to share this with you guys. So it starts off, obviously, with, what's up, Doc? Tanks for the letter, and again, tanks, not thanks. I just got back for the new season. I was vacationing and got stuck in Albuquerque, wouldn't you know? And I'll be sure to write back to little Patrick. And then it goes on to say, wow, it sure was swell hearing from you. Drop us a line sometimes to, to let us know what's cooking. Tanks again, your pal, Bugs Bunny. P.S. Regarding your Christmas carol, it's a good flick, Mick. Even the duck liked it. So as, that, as in, you know, Bugs went to the movies with Daffy. This is four and a half years before uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where, you know, we saw that Bugs and Mickey liked to hang out. And it just, you know, I love that this kind of foreshadowed that. Disney characters hanging out with Warner Brothers characters makes me think of one of your favorite weird television specials of all time, Drew, and that's the cartoon All-Stars to the Rescue Yes, I, we have to do something about this because this is one of the the weirdest things ever to air, I feel like. It didn't air on one channel. It aired simultaneously on ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, the USA Network, and Cartoon Network. And again, it's all of these cartoon characters. And in fact, doesn't it have, what is this song by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, right? Yes, the, wonderful ways to say no, Jim. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> 
That is where they got their. Remember when he, when they said that that uh, Mencken was an EGOT winner recently? <laughs> That's right. And he said, actually, we got mm-hmm. an Emmy in 1990 for this stupid thing, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Well, seriously, it's so much animation history. In fact, I learned just today that when Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck appear in this thing, it's the very first time those two characters weren't voiced by Mel Blanc. He had died the previous year. And so when it came time to record these characters, they reached out and Jeff Bergman did both of them. I actually have to amend your broadcast history too, Jim. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. It, it aired on PBS, TNT, TBS, Lifetime, Disney oh Channel, MTV, Nickelodeon, and here's where it gets good, Jim. Yep. Univision and Telemundo. <laughs> no! So, yeah. Wow. It just picture that you're a child in April of 1990 sitting down to watch this force down your throat, don't do drugs, kid, and you're like... Oh, I gotta find something else to watch, and you start to turn around the dial, and it's no, it's everywhere. You can't escape this. So we have to do a deep dive on this because the amount of characters that are in this from the disparate properties around the world at the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. But all right, well, next show we'll definitely do. This. All right, we'll do it. Till then, what's up with with Light Diffuse this week? I think the week that this show comes out, we'll have uh, this guy, Ricardo, who is a assistant um, editor on Fallout, and he has a lot of great stories. And then we got some great episodes coming up. I told you we got David Kep, who, you know, at the ripe age of 29, wrote uh, Jurassic Park for Steven Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Nothing really came of that film, but, you know, he's had a long career since <laughs> writing, you know, Spider-Man and the Dan Brown movies. And, you know, I mean, just a wonderful career. The Shadow, which is one of my favorite movies from the 90s. I don't know. I, I don't know oh. if you have a, a soft spot in your heart for that one, too, Jim. I kind of put that on the shelf alongside The Rocketeer. Because oh, for sure. So much amazing design. It's such a crazy cast. Yeah. It's a really good script, though. It's very funny and tongue-in-cheek. Mm-hmm. And so we talked to him. And then this week, actually, you'll appreciate this, Jim. We talked to Greg Grunberg because he has a brief role in Mission Impossible 3, and he told us some great stories. Obviously, he's J.J. Abrams' BFF. So we got some really good stuff coming up. So stick around. Yeah. Can I wait? Oh, before I forget, though, can you talk about that amazing photo from Zoom that you saw? Oh, yes, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, So yesterday was Brian De Palma's 80th birthday, and his daughter put up a photo on Instagram that shows him with... Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, Jake Paltrow, uh, Wes Anderson, David Kep, the aforementioned David Kep, future mm-hmm. guest on Light the Fuse, mm-hmm. uh, Martin Scorsese, and Steven Spielberg, which I think is really cool because we've all heard the stories, the Easy Riders, Raging Bulls stories mm-hmm. about how close you know, Scorsese and De Palma and Coppola and all those guys were. So I think it's really cool to see them back together. And uh, I have to recommend the De Palma documentary. If you haven't seen that, it is absolutely wonderful. Uh, did you ever watch that, Jim? I have not, though. Oh, you've got to watch it. You've got to okay. watch it. Okay, no, I mean, again, De Palma has, has fascinated me for years, though. You mentioned Coppola. Do you see the news this week about the retooling of uh, Godfather oh God, of Godfather 3? I feel like I'm back in when they showed him in linear order on CBS or whatever. Oh, God, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it looks it looks interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm always fascinated with, with Coppola and his weird rejiggering of his, his old movies. But um, uh, I mean, you know, somewhere in the basement, I have 
the original script for Godfather Three. It lit, it has an entirely different opening where, where it's set in Vegas, and in fact, the the Sinatra character, you know, from the first film, he's a headliner and he's on stage, and you know, they're there for his, the Duval character's retirement, and they present him with a special gift, and it literally is. Don Corleone's desk, you know, the curtains open on this stage in Vegas and, you know, the Duvall character, you know, tears up because, you know, how much time and, you know, he spent at this desk and, but it's an entirely different take on the opening and it didn't happen because Duvall and Coppola couldn't come to terms about how much will I get paid? You know, what's so my third one? I'm coming back. Of course, I would like to make some money. And oh, it, wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. But no, I have to dig that out. I'll get, if I can find it at some point, you know, the, trust me, this is something you want to share with the Collider folks. Well, I was going to say that on this episode with David Kep, he talks about a, a Howard Hughes movie that he and De Palma were working on for Disney um, after, I guess, the late 90s, so when Joe Roth was in charge over there. Mm-hmm. So if you want some really cool, obscure Disney history, too, you can get some of that on, on the Light the Fuse episode. But Definitely have to check that one out. All right. Speaking of which, folks, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you get over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook at Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, folks, and Drew and I will be back with a new fine-tuning next week.